0: Let's begin this morning in song. Please stand with me, if you would. We're going to sing these first three back to back to back. Mm A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord.
1: Angel said to the women who were looking for Jesus, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here; he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay." Good morning. Welcome to the West Irwin Church of Christ. So glad to have all of you with us this morning. If you're visiting, welcome. Uh, glad that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. And to everybody online, hello. Um, Announcements this morning, as you can tell, I am not Eric. Um, I am filling in for Eric because Eric's filling in with Bill, uh, or filling in for Bill. Uh, Bill was not feeling well this morning, and so be keeping Bill in your prayers. Um, But for today, our announcements this evening, um, there's something going on. It is a football game, and there's some guy from White House that's going to be playing in it. And so we're not having anything here, um, but hope that you'll get together and watch that. Uh, just spend time and even if it's not um, to watch the game, maybe it's to watch the commercials, maybe it's whatever, whatever floats your boat, um, but we will not be having any, anything here this evening at 5 p.m., there's no activity, um, there is, however, coming up in a couple of months, a Young at Heart area wide, this is going to be March 21st at 6 p.m., um, but what we need now is help. Um, There is going to be a lot of people here, there's going to be around 150 to 200 people in the Family Life Center, which means we need a lot of help, a lot of hands on deck. Um, There's a sign-up sheet on the table out in the foyer, and so if you're interested in helping, um, sign up out there, and you don't need to be in Young at Heart to help with this event. Um, It's going to be everything from baking cookies, to serving at tables, to, to signing people in, to moving tables and so on and so forth. And so if you think that that's something that you could help with, um, sign up out there, and we're looking forward to that event. And that's all I've got.
2: This morning I'll be reading from the NIV, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, we thank you for the beauty you create in each season. You know, today we see the brown grass as we endure a wet winter day, and yet we see your creation in the evergreen trees that stay green. We recognize that the hours of daylight are increasing, and soon these winter days will end, and your glorious spring will arrive to renew and according to your purpose. And like spring, we ask you to renew our hearts and spirit. For we have failed and we confess the heartbreaks and worry and sorrows that we may have caused. May we always remember that you liberated us from our sins through Christ. Father, we are thankful for the countless blessings you provide to us. We are thankful for our brothers and sisters who care for one another and bless us with kind words and actions. We are thankful for our staff, ministers, teachers, deacons, and elders here at West Irwin. May our works always be Christ-like, loving, and encouraging. Father, you know our every need, and at this time, we lift these names before you and ask for peace, and your healing touch be upon them. We pray for Bill Allen. Jenny Price, Jan Cook, Will Christian, Mary June Goodson, Debbie Phillips' sister, Brenda, Matt Hall's friend, Christian Rios, Crystal Hill's friend, Joe Tinter and his wife, Bonnie, Gayden Siegler, John Shaw, and all the ones on our prayer and care list. We also pray for their medical staff, their families, and caretakers. And bless them with extra measure of strength and patience. And Father, we are thankful that Stan Clark is home. And please be with him in his continued recovery. And Father, we ask for peace and comfort be upon the loved ones in the passing of Phil Mark's brother-in-law, Bob Wilson. May we be mindful of others that are grieving from the passing of loved ones. For there is no timetable for grief. Father, we are thankful for those who are teaching and parenting our children here at West Irwin. We ask you, Father, to bless their efforts with tools, knowledge, and wisdom to guide and nurture the children in your ways. We pray that our children would develop a love for learning and understanding your word. For your word gives wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And Father, we ask you to protect those in the military and law enforcement, our emergency responders and health care workers, and all those who are willing to serve in helping others. We recognize that we live in a broken world. We pray for peace, Father. We pray for the world leaders to be wise, to have the courage to stand up for righteousness and promote justice and truth. And Father we are thankful for Eric Thornton we ask you to bless Eric this morning with the wisdom and knowledge to proclaim your word in a way that will open our hearts and to be written upon our hearts may our worship today will not be of duty or lip service but in spirit and truth may we devote ourselves to prayer being watchful thankful And continue loving one another. In Jesus Christ the Lord, who died and rose, through whom we pray, amen.
1: why do we do this? Yes, because Jesus told his closest friends to, and yes, because it's the example that we see set by the early church, the gathering together and partaking in this Lord's Supper. Um, but that's not what I'm asking. Why, why do we do this? Um, or, you know, I don't know about you guys, but any time that I've, taken part in communion or the Lord's Supper, um, there's always been something that I've drank and always been something that I've ate. Now, it hasn't always looked exactly like this. Um, I remember back in the good old days, whenever we'd break bread and do that, um, I remember the stretch whenever COVID first happened, and we were locked in our houses, and uh, sometimes it got a little interesting, the things that we'd find ourselves uh, taking for communion, because maybe we didn't have grape juice, so maybe we would take apple juice, um, whatever. But any time that I've gathered around the Lord's table, um, there's been this. So another question is, why did God create us as physical beings in a physical creation? God is immaterial. Why are we not? Why are we physical? Um, Often we can think of our physicalness as a curse, as a result of the fall, a result of sin. Um, We sin and we feel sin. People get sick. There's pain. There's death. Everyone dies. Uh, I've heard some people describe it as though we're a spirit yearning for God who are stuck, trapped in these bodies. Um, And these bodies are just getting in the way of our relationship with God. Yet God created us as physical beings. What if our bodies are just as central to our relationship with God as our spirit and soul? What if our physicalness is actually a gift from God to be able to experience him in different ways and connect us with him in all that we do? And throughout scripture, we see that what we do physically matters. When encountering God in the burning bush, uh, Moses is instructed to take off his sandals for the place he was standing was holy ground. God commanded his people, the Israelites, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, just a day of physical rest. When Daniel prayed to God, we read that three times every day he bowed down on his knees to pray and praise God. We see fasting all throughout scripture. And what is fasting biblically? It's, it's, it's abstaining from eating food. Um, not because food is evil, not because food is wrong, but because this physical act is something that we see God enter into and respond to time and time again throughout scripture. Or take baptism, for instance. There's nothing special about that water. There's nothing special about the action in and of itself. But what is special is what it connects us to. We're commanded to do it physically. It's a physical command. And it physically joins us to Jesus, to his his death, his burial, his resurrection coming up out of the water. And this brings us to what we're about to do. I can assure you that there's nothing special about this. There's nothing special about this little cracker. There's nothing special about the juice. Um, Honestly, it can taste kind of gross sometimes. But what is special is what this represents. What is special is what this is pointing to. Um, There's a reason why Jesus gave us a physical act to remember him by. Because our physical senses are a gift, and one of those gifts are remembering. You think about a smell, whether it's a food or a candle or whatever, that can transport you back to whenever you were a kid. You hear a specific song, and it takes you back to whenever you were a teenager. The reason why we're gathered here now as we take this bread and this cup is because it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. It reminds us of the body that was pierced and the blood that was shed in our place. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. Don't rush. As you get this cup, as you take this bread, just linger. Linger with it for a minute. Don't just go through the actions. Hold it in your hand. Um, Feel what it feels like. Whenever you put it in your mouth and taste it, taste it and engage with it because it enables us to remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise Jesus, and we thank you for the sacrifice that he made. Lord, as we gather around this table, as we remember the sacrifice that was made, and Lord, we know that it was on our behalf. It was out of the great love that you have for us, the body that was pierced. Lord, I pray that as we take this bread, that we would take just a moment to, to remember, to remember that we serve a physically risen Savior, that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Um, that is why we're all here this morning, and Lord, we praise you for that. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 read, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, as we continue gathering around this table, the same table that our brothers and sisters from around the world are gathering, the same table that Jesus himself gathered around, Lord, we continue to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. We remember that Jesus was, is all powerful, that that he was and is in in heaven. And, And Lord, he gave that up to come and die in our place, and, and to walk as a man here on earth. And Lord, we can never repay you for that, but we we are thankful, and we thank you for your grace. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we transition this time from a time of communion to a time of giving, a time of contribution, the same sentiment still applies. Um, Not only are we physical creatures, but we live in a physical world. We have possessions, we have things that we own, we have our own time, our own efforts, whatever that looks like, and we are commanded to, to give back to God only what is His, and what is His is all that we have. Um, there's nothing that we have that's not a gift from God, and so we want to repay back to Him. Not just the action of putting it in the tray, not just the action of, of giving that money away, but knowing that on the other side of that, we're, we're serving God. We're, we're trusting Him with what we have. It's an action of, of faith and praise. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we are such a blessed people. And we recognize that uh, none of this is guaranteed. And it can all be taken away from us in a moment. And Lord, uh, you have been so, so gracious and so good to us. And we want to repay you what you've given us. Um, Lord, you have gifted us uh, beyond anything that we deserve or could imagine. The greatest of which is Jesus. and so. We want to do this for Jesus. Uh, we want to do it not just to check a box, but Lord, we want to give back because of what Christ has given to us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. With Thanksgiving in
0: Before our lesson today, the church is one foundation. Mm-hmm. The church is one foundation; is Jesus Christ her Lord? She is His new creation by one. One Lord, one faith, one birth.
3: I can tell you that the reason, beyond a shadow of doubt, that Rusty picked that song is because this morning was supposed to be about connecting to the church. It absolutely is not going to be about that. <clears throat> For those of you uh, who are regularly a part of West Erwin, you may remember uh, probably six months ago-ish, uh, Bill got sick again on a Sunday morning, and, but it was a little bit earlier. Uh, it was about 7 o'clock, so a text message went out to Tucker, myself, and Davy Carter and said, I'm out. Who wants it? I wasn't checking my phone. Davy took it. He did just fine. Um, however, I was thrown under the bus for not checking messages sooner by several people that day, and I feel like this is my penance <laughs> for that because this text message came at 9.30 a.m. in the middle of class. Uh, For those of you that were in Bill's class, I know y'all saw the color of his complexion and knew that that is not normal for him, so uh, he made it home fine, and uh, he's just hoping for smooth sailing for the rest of the day, although based on how he felt, I doubt that's what's in his future, so um, I'm actually preaching next week, and I do have notes and everything for that. I don't have a computer here this week, and uh, so... What you're getting this morning is uh, a snapshot into our life right now. You know, uh, I preached full-time for five years, so I I had, you know, meticulous notes, and all of those went up in flames in my house fire. And so uh, I kind of came from a place where um, I think we can all think back to different periods, different times in our life where this was kind of the good and this was kind of the bad, and this was kind of the ugly. Uh, the parts that we don't post on social media. There are parts that we do when our, our, our children, our families, our grandchildren are victorious in life and celebrating uh, milestones, maybe vacations that you've been a part of. But that's typically what people put out there on social media. Every now and then, there's that guilty post that goes up that says, well, I know it always looks like sunshine and roses, but here's a picture of how big of a hot mess our family is. But then the next 50 posts are more of the good stuff. But I think it is the, the difficult stuff that really shapes us. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, and it's an interesting memory that I have because it is connected to this church. In college, I saw one musical artist 32 times. The local, lo- more localized. Not a big, the Tickets were like eight bucks most of the time. So I didn't have any money, don't get me wrong. But I saw him once here. Uh, I, was, I interned, for those of y'all that don't know, I was also the youth minister here for five years, and then before that, I interned twice. And during one of my internships, uh, a young man that uh, was here at the time, whose dad was an elder and whose mom's looking at me right now, Caleb Bynum, and I went over to Athens and saw the Athens Rodeo and listened to Pat Green. And Pat had a song that I was all too familiar with, but it was the first time I heard him sing it live. And in that song, he made the comment, don't you think that life would be awful boring if the good times were all that we had? We wouldn't even know what good times were if there was nothing for comparison. And I'm not saying we long for the difficulties of life, but it is the difficulties of life that shape us, that we end up deciding who we are going to become in the future. I read a story a number of years ago called The Whisper Test, and it was written by a woman named Marianne Bird. and I want to read it to you. It's, it's very short. But it's a glimpse into a moment that changed the course of her life, a moment, just a very small moment. She said, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to them. A little girl with a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I would tell them that I had fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to be born that way. I was convinced that no one outside of my family could or would ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade who we all adored, Miss Leonard by name. She was short, round, and happy, a sparkling lady. Annually in Ms. Leonard's class, she gave a hearing test. She gave this test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from years past, as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher was sitting at her desk and would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God had to have put in her mouth. Those seven words changed my life. Miss Leonard said to me in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Those seven words changed my life. Words have a powerful ability to bring about good in the world or to cut in a way that we really don't have the ability to explain. And when we're young, we are given... What I think is bad ammunition. We are told, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. What a lie. And it's meant as a coping mechanism. It's meant to say, your words can't hurt me, your words can't cut me. But any honest person knows the mistruth in that. Words change us. Words redirect the course of our life. Sometimes the way Miss Leonard's words did, for good, and sometimes for bad. Words are hurtful emotionally, and they last longer than the deepest scar you'll ever bear. In many ways, words are also like prophecies. They have this powerful impact on the world around us to speak into the future of their life. Because we are implanting in them value. Is it good value or is it bad value? Are you a good person or are you a bad person? Now, these are not intrinsic truths that we believe on the surface. But deep down, the more we hear something, the more we are inclined to believe it. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of both life and death. In chapter 12, verse 18, it says, A reckless word pierces like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In chapter 15, verse 4 of Proverbs, the deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Again, in chapter 25, verse 15. By the way, if you haven't figured it out, Proverbs has a lot to say about our words. Chapter 25, verse 15, A gentle tongue can break a bone. And in chapter 10, verse 20, The tongue of the righteous... Is like choice silver. But in fact, I think one of the most insightful verses for us this morning, as I speak out of the overflow of my heart, with no notes really to come off of except 25 minutes and a whole lot of praying that you can cram into that, comes from Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus said, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus was saying to us that our words are clues as to what's going on in here. They reveal our thoughts, they reveal our feelings, they reveal who we are. When Wesley was little, and I told the boys I wouldn't tell any stories about them, but this is a good one. When he was little, everyone at our church in Longview was convinced he was going to be the right handed salvation in the Rangers' batting order. At the time we were struggling, Rangers have kind of brought it, pulled it back around, but that boy could hit a plastic wiffle ball. There are videos on my my Facebook where he could barely walk. It was more of a waddle, really, because his thighs were rubbing, but when he hit that ball, it just went forever. And because of that, I heard a story about um, somebody's son who was in that same position. They were throwing them a wiffle ball. This wasn't a story about Wesley, but... The dad went to his son after he just smashed a ball. And he said, you really crushed that one. He said, I know, dad. Jesus helped me. There's a three-year-old that said to his dad, I know, because Jesus helped me. It's one of those moments where it's so cool to see into the innocent heart of a child. And I think we can all maybe remember moments like that where... Children have given us glimpses into what's going on up here. But the more we put something up here, the more it travels to here. The more we are reminded of our value, whether good or bad, the more we will eventually begin to believe it. It's one of those deals where words are clues. April sixteenth, two 2007, a man by the name of Sung Hui Cho opened fire on the campus of Virginia Tech and killed 32 people. I'm sure a lot of us remember that day. It was uh, one of the worst massacres in U.S. history that was not a wartime event. A couple of years ago, and I say a couple of years ago, it's probably about 10 years ago now, some papers of his were found, some plays that he had written. And in those were excerpts that made it into the public. And they just... They spewed venom. They were violent. They were hateful. And given that hindsight is twenty twenty for us and the time that had passed, those words revealed a pain in his heart that had been existing long before the events on that April day. In James chapter 3, verse 2, we are told that we all make mistakes, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. I think we have mixed reactions about that. I think that as we put words out into the world, to use a fishing analogy, there are some of those we want to reel back in. Maybe you've said them... In fact, I'm willing to bet the ones that you want to put back are the ones that you've said to those you are closest to. Unfortunately, most often, it is those who we care about the most who we also know how to push their buttons the easiest it's rare that we actually on a regular basis spew that venom towards total strangers it's often directed at those maybe who've caused us pain or who have we have gone through difficult situations with and so it's scary in one on one facet because We would like those stricken from the record. I would like to never have you remember those words that came out of my mouth towards you. The good side of that, however, is this. That while it is difficult for us to move past some of those words, both that we have received and that we have said, God wipes the slate completely clean. Not only does he not hold our words against us, when we would go to him with a contrite heart, we are washed white as snow. I think what I've, I, my biggest intention up until this point has been this, though, is to say that the, the, the tongue is a powerful, powerful thing. Ephesians chapter four verses 25 to 29 says, "Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, and this, this statement resonates in my household. In your anger, do not sin." It does not say don't get angry. When we find ourselves in those moments where we have the ability to fire off, to fire back, to insert pain and anguish into someone's life because we have been hurt, the choice that we are all called to, that Paul calls us to as followers of Jesus Christ, is to not do it. To not speak words of hate, of anger, of frustration... It's okay to be angry, but what we do with that anger is that snapshot into our heart. Instead of speaking those words, however, what we do instead is internalize them. We repress it. We let the sun go down on our anger. And there are times when we do need to verbalize it, when we do need to share your words have caused this response in my life, this This feeling that I'm really struggling with. Now, what they do with that, as I tell my boys all the time, easier said than done, what they do with that is up to them. But what our response is, is what we will answer for. We cannot control anybody else. All we can stand up for and speak for is ourselves. So I don't understand to understand the psyche of Sung Hui Cho. Somebody that has it within them to do what he did on that campus in 2007. But, it is interesting that those around him described him as incredibly quiet. And when those writings that he had were found, it's obvious that he had internalized a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. He had not found a healthy way to deal with those feelings. In Proverbs chapter six, 26, verses 4 and 5, it says this, when arguing with fools, don't answer their foolish arguments, or you will become a foolish, as foolish as they are. But then the very next verse, verse 5, says, don't answer their foolish arguments. Then in verse 5, he says, when arguing with fools, be sure to answer their foolish arguments, or they will become wise in their own eyes. So now I've got to answer you when you're being foolish, and now I have to respond. But just one verse before, the writer said, but don't respond, or you'll become foolish like them. I did not like that the first time I read that, the first few times I read it, until I came to the understanding that the the point was not whether you respond or don't respond. The point is don't argue with fools because it's lose-lose. You you can't win that conversation. You can't speak truth into somebody that is unwilling to hear it. So one verse says don't answer them. One verse says you do. But as long as we are dealing with the fool, it is a no-win situation. It doesn't matter what we do or say. And in some ways, our country has evolved into a place that in many ways, it does not reflect its beginnings, certainly. In the beginning, our, our nation honored respect, and I do want to share something with you last night in that regard. Last night, we had a, a, dinner, a dinner here for many of our ladies in this church who uh, no longer have their spouses with them. Uh, we actually had more young men than, than slightly older women last night. And so some of our ladies had had multiple dates last night. Uh, as Francis called my boys her escorts, and so we had to d- define that word. That was a, that was a new a new word for them. <clears throat> and so, as Kelly Monahan stood up and shared with us at the beginning, he said, "Heather and I wanted to start this a couple of years ago because we wanted to impress upon our children." The importance of respecting people, the importance of being a good, not just a good person, a moral person, but a kind person, a thoughtful person, a person who puts others' needs in front of yourself. So I wanted to teach my boys to open the door for someone. I wanted to teach my boys to engage somebody in conversation, take a genuine interest in their life. And so as we're doing that last night, and we're talking through this with all our children, it came back around to me as I was beginning all of this of what God's intention for us was all along. This evolution that, that we have been brought to, that to live in a world now where if I give anyone a compliment on their physical appearance, that it could be seen as sexual harassment. So I, I, I told, I'm using Frances again as an example once, I said, uh, and if you all don't know Frances, she is uh, our wonderful secretary here at church who has been on staff here for 56 years so she's just a little bit over 56 and francis had done something different with her hair and i said Frances, i noticed uh noticed you changed something with your hair today and i said it with a big smile on my face and she goes yeah and i'm like okay bye and then i just walked away and i came back and she is from a very different different generation and i so saw i explained to her why I had kind of programmed myself out of that. Out of saying, you look really nice today. Because I grew up in a generation where the counter to that is, well, did I look like trash yesterday? I'm like, well, yeah, I just didn't want to tell you. So, <laughs> No, of course not. But we misconstrue and contort everything from the heart with which it was given. Because words are reckless. And so the Bible uses, this is kind of the last thing I want to I wrap up with this morning. There, that this word, Sword in the new testament is used in two different ways. And I've already used it in one of the ways that it was used. In Proverbs 12:18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's one way that scripture talks about swords. But the other is this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I think it's so much easier for us to think of of a sword in comparison to our tongue. Because we've experienced it more. Many of us have not been equipped or have not put into practice the good of the sword. The penetration of the word that can cut us to our core. Instead, what we have experienced much more often than that is the cutting to the core of words that were meant to hurt. That were not meant to bring life. That were not meant to bring joy. But that were strictly said to bring pain. Sharper than any double-edged sword, the word penetrates and divides the soul and spirit. Some of you are familiar with the term cheap grace. Cheap grace kills us spiritually. It's the desire to be comfortable with things that inhibit the power of the Holy Spirit to motivate us and lead us in life. The Holy Spirit convicts us from our sins from the day we receive it. This gift from God. And cheap grace steals that away from us because it says it's okay. God will forgive everything that you did. Just keep on doing what you're doing. God will continue to forgive it. Don't change. Don't bring your heart to a closer union with God. Just acknowledge that he exists and everything will be okay. Paul says that is not at all the purpose of grace. Should we go on sinning just so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. It's cheap grace that tells us that it's okay to say words that are hurtful to other people. If, if we were hurt, if someone hurt us, cheap grace tells us it's fine. God will forgive you. It will be okay. After all, they should just, this is how God made me. Just be comfortable with who I am. God will forgive me. God will forgive you. So just deal with it. This is what you get. We feel like we have the right to be angry. And again... Scripture doesn't say don't be angry, but twice it says in our anger do not sin. God gave us the command to love one another and to go even beyond that. Chances are that probably someone in this room is not your mortal enemy, and yet Scripture tells us to love our enemies as well. If we love somebody, we don't use our words to hurt or destroy them. It's not possible. If we love somebody, we are willing to extend grace to them. We are willing to extend forgiveness to them because our love is our motivating factor for that. Not anger, not getting even, not being above them. But love is what pushes us and drives us in our response. We need to watch our thoughts because they become our words. We need to watch our words because our words become our actions. We need to watch our actions because our actions then become our habits. We need to watch our habits because they become our character. And we need to watch our character because through our character it determines our eternity. Who we are towards others matters. It matters so much to God. Number one. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. That is the message version of that. But number two is to love everyone else. To love your neighbor as yourself. And if we can put our heart and soul into focusing on those two things, it changes our motivation and how we respond to people. Out of the good man, good things are brought up because they are stored in his heart. And it is out of the evil that evil things come out of what is stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is reminding us that our speech and our actions are what is revealed. They are revealing our heart. And whether our thoughts are good or bad, they will roll off our tongue with ease. My mom and my grandma and probably many of my Bible class teachers and every school teacher I probably ever had said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I think we live in a world now where we might not have much sound at all if that were still the rule by which we played. So instead of keeping our mouths shut, I would just want to encourage us this morning to make a concerted effort To let the words that we share with others be words of encouragement. Even when they're hard. Even when we need to say things in our anger, in our frustration. That they can still be words that point someone to Jesus. Whether it is loving them or whether it is showing our grace by how we respond. Sticks and stones may break our bones. And words absolutely matter. So let our words be a fragrant offering to our Father in heaven. Let our words encourage our fellow man and draw our hearts closer to our creator. That was on my heart this morning. We've uh, we've been struggling in our home lately with that. And I say we. That's a me thing too. In your anger, do not sin. Let your words draw those around you and ourselves closer to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are are grateful uh, for not cheap grace. We are grateful for forgiveness, Lord. We are grateful for seeing past our imperfections. And we know that you see our hearts. So, Lord, I I pray for help. I pray for help of the Holy Spirit Would, would convict our hearts that love would be the motivating factor over anything else. And that while not everything in this world is is nice and rosy, that we can keep our hearts and minds focused where they need to belong. So God, we thank you for that grace you offer us, and my prayer is that we would offer it to others. Because you love us, we love each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If there is any way that we as a church can encourage you this morning, can help you begin that walk of faith, or can just stand beside you in your brokenness just like ours. Uh, We would love to do that for you. And if you'd like those prayers and that encouragement, you can come down front while we stand and while we sing.
0: Thank you if you're visiting with us today. We're glad you stopped by. We will sing two verses of Blessed Be the Tie, and we'll have our closing prayer. (laughs) Blessed be the tie.
1: Lord, thank you for this day and for everything you've given us, and thank you for this opportunity we have to come and worship you and learn more about your word. Please be with us as we go out into the world, and uh, be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.